was Psalm 110 of David, a psalm. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from a brook along the way. And so he will lift his head high. To have that open in front of you, that would be great. I don't know when I read that. Some Psalms kind of connect with us straight away. We go, oh, that's great. The Lord is my shepherd. Maybe that feels connecting. This, if we're honest, probably feels like quite an odd Psalm. Feels a long way away from most of our experience. But I want us to see that Psalm 110, it's a really important Psalm actually given to us by God, quoted in the New Testament, so that we can see and celebrate who Jesus is and the difference knowing Jesus makes to our lives in this world. So I've already said this morning, this is one of the most quoted Psalms in the New Testament. Jesus quotes this Psalm in three out of the four Gospels, Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 20. Let me just give one example on the screen there. So Jesus speaking, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, and then he quotes Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And the large cried, listen to Jesus with delight. Now, now just in passing, this actually is an amazing, chap, amazing passage actually about Jesus' understanding of the Bible. And um, we see here that Jesus is clear that a human author wrote the Psalm, David himself, he says, but David was inspired by the Holy Spirit, speaking by the Holy Spirit. So he's not just a human author. And that's a really central thing of what Christians believe about the Bible, that it was written by human authors with their individual voices and styles, but they're speaking from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, we learn here, had a really high view of Scripture. And if we follow Jesus, we have to have a high view of Scripture too, to listen to it like he did. So Jesus quotes this psalm. The apostle Peter quotes this psalm on the day of Pentecost. Sometimes that's referred to as the birthday of the church. The day the risen Jesus first sends his Holy Spirit to help his followers be his witnesses in this world. And Peter quotes from verse one again of Psalm 110 to describe the glory of Jesus after his resurrection, that Jesus now exalted to the right hand of God and he sent his promised Holy Spirit there. So for Peter, this Psalm's about the glory of Jesus after he died and rose again and ascended into heaven. And then the writer of Hebrews, who we don't quite know who that is, but, but he quotes from it as well. Um, and he actually quotes verse four. That's the most important bit of the psalm for him. And he talks about Jesus being our merciful high priest. Verse four of the psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is an important psalm for the New Testament. It's key to Jesus' understanding of who he is. And it's key to the early church's understanding of who 
Jesus is. And when we, when we look at any psalm, any bit of the Bible, actually, a really good question to ask is, if this was a song, what tune would it have? What would be the melody of the song? What does it feel like? So is this a happy song or a sad song? A frightened song or an angry song? An upbeat song or a mournful song? And I hope when we were reading it out a minute ago, you saw that actually this is a really upbeat song. It is a song of confidence and celebration. It's a coronation psalm, celebrating God's king, but it's also a pre-battle hymn for God's people going into battle. And it's a song designed to give God's people confidence, not in themselves, but in their king, in the king who is leading them into battle, who's fighting alongside them, who's fighting for them. I think Psalm 110, it's a brilliant celebration of the unique glory of who Jesus is and the difference it makes to know him and trust him. So, so listening to the psalm, then what do we learn about the Messiah from this psalm? First thing we learn, very simply, is he is David's Lord. Verse one, he is David's Lord. Again, that's verse one. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And again, that's quite a strange opening. Because we've already said that name David, it, it conjures up the idea of ancient Israel's greatest king, the greatest king God's people ever had, the shepherd boy who defeated the giant Goliath, the one who led Israel to its greatest military victories, a man after God's own heart. And yet here he is referring to someone else as my Lord, verse one. So you look at verse one and, and there's a capital Lord, and then a second Lord. So the capital Lord, that's the God of Israel. That's Yahweh. That's when Yahweh's mentioned. The NIV puts it in capitals. But the second Lord, we're actually not told directly who that is yet. And we're about to think, well, hang on. Well, who could possibly be superior to David? Who could be the Lord of Israel's greatest king? Well, again, we don't have to ask that question very long because Jesus tells us who that Lord is. When he quotes from this in Mark 12 and other places, he says, actually, this verse refers to him. It refers to Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah, God's special king. Come to put things right in God's world. He is David's Lord, the one greater than David. Why? Because he's not just another human king, even though he is human. He's not just descended from David, even though he is descended from David. No, he's the son of God, fully God and fully man who humbled himself and entered our world to rescue us from sin and death. That's why he's David's Lord. But of course, you sort of think, well, he might be David's Lord, but what sort of Lord is he? And actually, David goes on to tell us, he says in verses two to three, that he is a king who leads his people into battle. If you look down at verses two and three, we've got the Lord, Yahweh, and David's Lord, they're acting as one. And together, the Lord and his king, they're advancing into enemy territory. They're taking on their enemies. And the army they're leading is made up of willing volunteers, of troops ready and able to take on the enemy. Why? Because their king is powerful and he is leading them. If you look at verse three for a minute, it says, your troops will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The idea here is that this king is such an inspirational leader. People want to be with him, want to be fighting alongside him. 
And you see that in our world. Think, think of any inspirational leaders you can think of, maybe in the world of, of sport or politics or business, just football, maybe like a Pep Guardiola or an Alex Ferguson. People wanted to play with them. They were inspirational. They said, yeah, I am willing to play in your team because I think you know what you're doing. I think you, you're good at this and I want to be on the same side as you. And actually, that's the picture we get of this king, this Messiah in Psalm 110. People want to fight for him. He inspires his people because he's fighting alongside them. And verses five to seven, we learn that, that victory for God's people, it's assured because God's king is leading them. Verse five, the Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He'll judge nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. That we might think that's a bit grim, a bit, a bit, bit bloody language, violent, but actually we need to remember that for God's people, the kings, nations, and rulers, they're the enemies of God's people. They're oppressors and tyrants. They're not nice people. They are people who have made God's people's lives miserable. And the promise here is this king's going to lead his people into battle and defeat every one of their enemies. And of course, in the New Testament, standing behind these enemies are the ultimate enemies of God's people, sin, death, the devil. See, Psalm 110 rejoices in the fact that the king David describes here will triumph over his enemies and he will share that victory with every one of his people. So that's that first little bit of the psalm. But again, we need to pause for a minute because this probably makes a lot of sense if you're an ancient Israelite soldier the night before a battle, doesn't it? You're kind of, you're, you're terrified in your tent. You're kind of just, you're shaking going, I need to remember that, that the king's with me. So maybe that makes sense. But we think, well, what does it mean for someone living in 21st century Leicester? Well, I think this psalm reminds us of a truth that actually is right the way through the Bible. And this truth is that the Christian life is a spiritual battle. And if we follow Jesus, we're involved in spiritual warfare from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed. That's a truth that's in the Bible from beginning to end, from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. The world we live in, if you like, it's a spiritual war zone. And every single one of us is called to pick a side. Either we're fighting on God's side, following the lead of Jesus, or we're fighting against God. There's no neutral ground. Again, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So actually, we read Psalm 110 and go, well, I'm not in a battle. But the truth is that we are. If we're Christians, we are in a battle. And the enemies we face are very real, strong, and deceptive. And we cannot win this battle without God's help and God's armor. So actually, we need Psalms like this because it reminds us we're in a battle. And why do we need to remember that? Well, because sometimes life can be tough. Sometimes a Christian life can be tough. And we need to remember, actually, I'm called to expect that. And also, we realize just how important it is to lift our eyes to the King who leads us into battle. We're not meant to fight this battle on our own. We're meant to fight it with our vision full of who King Jesus is. Because this battle is a reminder to us that we still live in a fallen world and sin and death are still active. We experience that even this weekend when we grieve the loss of Marge. We remember actually we still live in a world where, where our loved ones get sick and die, where it's a struggle sometimes to keep trusting in Jesus because it's a battlefield. But this Psalm says, lift your eyes to the King 
who's leading you. Lift your eyes to the king who is going to win and who will share his victory with everyone who follows him in the battle. This psalm focuses our eyes on our commanding officer, Jesus, and says, find your strength in him. And what does it mean to, for Jesus to lead us into battle in this world? Well, what it doesn't mean is that we're meant to physically fight and conquer our enemies with swords, guns, fists, not at all. No, actually this battle we fight by bringing his light into the world, his gospel into the world. There's so many places in our world, whether it's school playgrounds or offices or families where there is so much darkness and Jesus calls us, he leads us into battle to say, bring my light into this situation. Make disciples for me in this situation. And we do that by loving the people around us, by serving them the way Jesus first served us, by speaking the truth of the gospel whenever we have opportunity. We fight this battle by imitating Jesus as we read about him in the gospels. So that's that first bit of this psalm is that the Messiah, David's Lord, he's our powerful king and he is fighting for us. He will defeat all his enemies. And if we trust in him, victory is assured. We will be on the winning side. That is what this psalm is meant to create in us, that sense of confidence. But again, in the meantime, the battle can be tough and life can be hard. We often feel weak. We often think, can I really keep going? And that's why verse four is such good news for us. It's this kind of odd verse in the middle of the psalm. It's on the screen there. Because up to verse four, we've been introduced to someone who's David's Lord. He's a king who leads his people into battle. And suddenly, so out of the blue, he's suddenly described not just as a king, but as a priest. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, verse four, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And that's weird because we think, well, hang on, it's a king, but now he's a priest. Because in the Old Testament, kings and priests were very separate jobs. They were deliberately kept separate. And yet suddenly this king addressed by the Lord is a priest as well. What do we learn about the Messiah here? Well, we learn that he's not only a powerful king leading us into battle, he's also a merciful high priest who's always near us. Again, that's where Melchizedek comes into play. Again, when we said that actually kings and priests were always separate in the Old Testament, there's one exception, and it is this man, Melchizedek, this mysterious figure who appears in Genesis 14. He's described as the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High. And here's how the writer of Hebrews describes him. He says, well, he's without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. There's a lot there, but basically what he's saying is, the, the Melchizedek, he's a different sort of priest. He predates the priests in the Old Testament who descended from Levi. And unlike them, he's not marred by sin or death. No, he's a special priest. And that priest, that order of Melchizedek, that's pointing us to Jesus. Not only is Jesus a powerful king leading us into battle, he's also a sympathetic priest who's near us in the middle of the battle. And why is that good news? Well, again, just look at the psalm. Just imagine if verse four wasn't in this psalm. In one sense, it kind of, the psalm feels like it would flow quite naturally without it. Just take verse four out. It's a bit confusing. But actually, what the picture we get of the Messiah is of a powerful king who's going to win. But we might think, actually, maybe I should keep my distance from this king. 
Maybe he's going to win. He's, he's got other things on his mind. He's not interested in me. Maybe he just wants the strong soldiers. I'll maybe just stay at the back, keep my distance from him. But actually with verse four, when we learn that this, this king is also a priest, a high priest who's merciful, actually the invitation is there to come to him. The priests in the Old Testament, they represented the people to God. They enabled the people to approach God for forgiveness and help. And that is just what our high priest Jesus does for us, our king and our priest. And listen how the writer of Hebrews describes Jesus and applies this psalm to Jesus. Just on the screen there. He says, For we do not have a high priest unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. We have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Actually, that's what this psalm's saying, saying actually your king is also a priest. And because he lives forever, Hebrews 7, he has a permanent priesthood. He's not going anywhere. He's not gonna leave you or forsake you or abandon you. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. I wanna see actually this psalm is beautiful because it shows us not only the powerful king, but the merciful priest, a priest who understands us, who understands what it's like to be weak in this world, who cares for us, who prays for us and intercedes for us. It's an amazing picture of the Messiah, of Jesus. So as we finish, why, why does that matter? We've already seen the Christian life is a battle and it can be hard. But we need songs like Psalm 110 ringing in our ears as we go into battle each day. We need psalms like this to lift our eyes to Jesus, the Christ, who is in the midst of the battle with us. We need to remember actually that maybe contrary to what we believe, we are actually on the winning side. A lot of times Christians feel, well, we're just a bit on the margin. No one's really listening to us. But actually this, this psalm says, actually, Jesus has won the victory over sin and death already. And we're going to see that in its fullness when he returns. And thanks to Jesus, every Christian can keep going knowing, actually, I know the battle's won, not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done for me. But more than that, he is with us in the battle as our priest. He's close to us when the fighting is intense. He strengthens us when we're not sure we can keep going. So Psalm 110 tells us, lift your eyes to your king and your priest. When you're weak, know that he is strong. When you're struggling, know that he is merciful. And approach him with confidence. We're not meant to live the Christian life on our own. We're meant to live in dependence on our King Jesus, who's also our merciful priest. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you know exactly what we need to hear from your word, Lord. Thank you for this book of Psalms. Thank you for the variety of songs we get in it. And thank you for this particular song. It's kind of baffling when we first look at it, but then we realize just how much that your son quoted it, the, the early church quoted it. We need to have this vision of your son as our powerful king and our merciful priest. For everyone who feels weak at the moment, for everyone here who feels like they're maybe on the losing side, who maybe are tempted even to give up, I pray that Psalm 110 would open our eyes to the victory that is assured. 
and for everyone who equally is feeling weak and maybe that we can't approach Jesus. He's too perfect. He's too sinless. Would you remember that he's also our priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. He is the one who is sympathetic and merciful towards us. Father God, we need to see you for who you are, not who we imagine you to be, but who you are as you reveal yourself in your word. Would you strengthen our faith and help us to live in this world, this spiritual battle, fighting for you, bringing your light into dark places as we draw near to you every day and rely on your strength, not our own, to make a difference for you in this world. We ask that in the name of our glorious King and Priest, Jesus. Amen.